Merely satisfying customers will not be enough to earn their loyalty. Instead, they must experience exceptional service worthy of their repeat business and referral. Understand the factors that drive this customer revolution. Rick Tate. Hey, my name is Zach and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople in the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. Hey everybody, welcome to another week. I figured this time I'd actually bring it back to basics a little bit, talk more about uh, the trades world and I guess service in particular this week. Uh, We're going to be talking about, you know, the the fact that the customer isn't always right and that a lot of the time, you know, they come to myself or us in a broader sense for our expertise and for our knowledge. And a lot of the time that means making corrections to their plan. We know that the way things are supposed to work, we know the safety regulations that have to be followed, and quite frankly, it doesn't always go along with the plan or the idea that they had in mind for the end product. But at the same time, you've got to kind of come to some sort of um, an agreement or a negotiation, one that works, you know, safety-wise, it's it's on par, and at the same time, the customer is happy because at the end of the day, that is the goal of any kind of service industry is to leave the customer happy, content with the product that you've given them, um, but a lot of the times, their ideas to get there aren't exactly accurate, so that's what this, this episode is kind of about. It's also just about acknowledging that, you know, you are the expert in a given field, so a lot of the times... People are coming to you looking for solutions, looking for fixes to problems. And a lot of the time it comes down to us having to actually assert that level of knowledge or experience and really apply it to any given situation. Now, this topic actually kind of bounced around in my head because of a recent customer interaction that I had. And we'll get into this in the episode. But, you know, a lot of the times you're not going to keep every single customer. Um it's just it's not realistic whenever you're offering a service you're you kind of have a designated customer base in mind and whether we like it or not that is going to cut out certain other customers and that was in this case we just had I had a customer who we've we've done work for in the past but every time there's just there's always issues there's always discrepancies on billing there's always there's always just added extras that get thrown in at the last minute and Quite frankly, they may be considered a bad customer, and we'll get into that as well, because there are definitely bad customers. I mean, if we can say that there's bad contractors or bad electricians in my case, which there are uh, plenty of them, uh, but it's completely fair to also say that there are bad customers, bad contractors, or, you know, we'll also kind of relate it back to engineers and how a lot of the time they may have something that works on paper, but as soon as it gets down to the nitty gritty in real life and you're trying to build this thing a lot of the time it just it just doesn't compute from paper to real life and that comes down to us the installers the builders the skilled tradespeople, to make that work where it's still you know it follows the engineer's guidelines as far as whatever load it's bearing or whatever it's whatever task it's supposed to perform now one of these tasks or jobs that we've been getting tasked with a lot. Uh, 
more and more as time's gone on. I mean, electric cars are becoming more and more prevalent in society and on the roads. And, you know, every single one of those essentially is backed up by a home charging station and that gets installed by electricians. And so a lot of the time, like you'll get a customer who, I mean, kind of the funny ones are when you get customers who live in apartment buildings and then call to get their own personal charger installed and it's like I, I don't think you understand what's going on here we're not going to run it from the 13th floor down to the parkade uh you have to talk to your building get get them installed per the strata or, or for the hoa whatever association it is wherever you are but that one's kind of a an odd one that we do get we do have to field every once in a while but either way if it's at a house if it's at a townhouse a lot of people don't realize how big of a demand that car charger puts on an electrical system. So a lot of the times you have to be the bearer of bad news and say, look, you know, if you want to get this done, it's require it's going to require A, B, and C, usually meaning a service upgrade or now, thank God, in the last year, they've started to come up with load sharing devices, but they aren't cheap. It adds an added uh, burden. You know, people buy their car charger, try to place it as close as they can to the panel and think that oh well it's going to take you guys a couple of hours and a few meters of cable what's that going to cost me well it's not that simple and when you've got to try to install it safely and in a way that's going to not overload their electrical service that's a lot of things that homeowners and the end customer just doesn't realize and again you've got to kind of be the bearer of bad news sometimes in explaining to them that Look, this isn't going to go the way that you thought it was going to go, but I can deliver you the finished product that you want. Just there are these different steps along the way that we're going to have to take. And that's, again, part of being part of being an expert in a field or in a, a practitioner in whatever trade you're, you're in. Um, it's part of that is delivering bad news to a customer. And again, like we get caught up in this term that the customer is always right. And I don't think it could be farther from the, the truth, especially when you're talking about the service industry this way or in construction or, you know, I mean, I guess this could actually really apply to just about any walk of life because I don't know how many times I've gone into a situation where, you know, being a mechanic, although that's again trades, but, you know, buying life insurance or something and thinking that this is all that I have to do and then realizing, oh shit, there's a lot more you know, fine print that I've got to comply with and deal with. And uh, that's just things that I didn't expect to deal with. But hey, it's there. It's uh, another obstacle, but it has to get done. And so that's, again, that's part of this idea that the customer isn't always right. And a lot of the time, that's why you're there. If if they were always right, they could do a lot of this stuff by themselves, but they can't. That's why they call a professional in. That's why we make the money that we make and that's why we're in our given field because it does require a lot of expertise and uh yeah it, it's not always a bad thing i mean a lot of the times these the customers they're they're calling on you again because they're trying to solve an issue they need you yes you need work but they need you they need your expertise so don't ever shy away from that fact and uh really just asserting yourself that's again that's something that i've talked about in the past that i have a real problem with is asserting my will on a situation, especially at work. Um, but it's something that I've been working on the last few years has gotten a lot better. It's something where you just realize like, hey, I do actually have a handle on this stuff. It's the one area of my life, I think, where the imposter syndrome doesn't <laughs> really grip me. It's probably just accumulated amount of time in the trade. I mean, I think I'm at coming up on 17 years. So I've got, uh, I've got a fair bit of experience in this and I'm not 
afraid to kind of assert it now and, and let people know like, no, you know, I know this is how you wanted it to go, how you pictured it happening. It, it's not going to work that way. And here's why. But again, as long as the end goal is completed and you've you've served the customer correctly and they, they got what they wanted and now you've also introduced and made sure that it follows all the safety requirements, you're golden pony boy. Like that's that's all you can really ask for. Again, it's it's usually it's not the end of the project that is the problem. It's the path between A and B. That's where you really need to bring your expertise to the table and and do it properly. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. It's one of the things again that I struggled with at the beginning was just having to tell a customer that no, that's not how it's going to happen. This is how we have to do it. But then once you've been in long enough, you now have a list of reasons why, uh, safety concerns, code rules, whatever it may be. And as long as you can communicate that properly, then you're good to go. That, that's all they care about. They want it to be done properly and, and safely. As I had kind of touched on earlier, when it comes to bad customers, I mean, the customers always have the right to terminate business with you. Uh, that's why, you know, there's always clauses in contracts that will allow them to terminate things. If things just aren't going well, you guys aren't seeing eye to eye. Or, you know, if you have a bad crew, a bad week, or you're just falling apart, falling behind, uh, that's their right to terminate you if you're holding the project back. So th that's part of the responsibility of any skilled tradesperson is to uphold their end of the bargain, because otherwise you're going to get cut and you're going to get replaced. That's just, <laughs> that's the way the world works. But this idea can pull a 180 too. I mean, you can cut bad customers out of your life. You know, we have, we've had bad clients in the past. Again, like I said, we just had one this last week that yeah, I don't think, and you know, I'm pretty self-reflective. It wasn't anything that we had done. They were asking for, you know, trying to change and just make alterations on existing light fixtures. And so here's a hint. And here's one thing, again, where a lot of the times you kind of have to step in with your expertise, but everything has to be passed in Canada anyway, by CSA, it has to have that stamp of approval, or one of the matching corresponding levels of uh, approval from the US for it to even be installed. That equipment means that it's past safety standards, you can't just go in making your own lighting fixtures and throwing them up and uh, expecting those to be passed all of our safety regulations nowadays, it, it doesn't work like that. So this customer, again, wanted me to alter a bunch of lights, alter a bunch of stuff, and that would have negated the CSA approval. I just, I couldn't do it. Uh, you know, it uh, it would have blocked off airflow through some of them. That's again, <laughs> here's, a, here's a big pointer to any of you who aren't in trades or you know, this is just helpful anywhere. If you're installing a light fixture and it says a maximum wattage in that fixture, especially an enclosed type, uh, listen to that. I don't know how many times I've had to go to houses where the electrical box above in the ceiling has completely melted out or the electrical connections melted and shorted out, started, you know, it, it kicked a circuit. That kind of stuff happens all the time. And it's usually over overrated bulbs that just create too much heat and it starts to melt the whole fixture from the inside. So pay attention to that. It's not as big of an issue now with LED bulbs, but some people seem to think LED is the devil. So they like to stick with incandescent bulbs and, you know, light their uh, light their light fixtures on fire. So again, it's keeping us employed. I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't recommend it at all, but it keeps bringing food to my table and, uh, and keeps me busy during the day. So it is what it is. All right, now it's Monday night, right before the release of this episode, 
and I have to add this section in because today uh, me and a coworker had an absolute doozy of a customer. This guy, okay, so he's renoing his whole house and he, three bathrooms, whatever, rips all three of them out. So now he's got, you know, the carpeting guys, the flooring guys, he's got us in there, he's got... <sighs> he's got drywallers he's got everybody tilers whatever again this is some sometimes the issues when homeowners plan and organize their own jobs because there is no layering and kind of staging of tradespeople. they just expect everybody to show up at the same time and work around each other so anyway as i had said he had pulled apart these three bathrooms all at once so there's no toilets uh you've got about eight workers working in this townhouse and I mean, apart from us all tripping all over each other, everybody has to use the bathroom. It's a human function. And this guy, I have never seen this before in my life. I asked him, I said, hey, um, you know, where's the washroom? Can I get into the, the guest house on this, in this townhouse development? It's like, oh, I don't have the key for that yet. But I got these sweet piss bags that you can use. I'm like, wait, what? A, a piss bag? And I had never seen one of these things before, but... <laughs> it comes in it's like this ziploc bag that's got this this little pouch for you to fucking drop your gonads into and take a leak and then it's filled with this chemical at the bottom that basically you know you you take a leak in there and then it expands and turns into this i don't know this kind of putty stuff it's disgusting anyway like it, it was just cracking me up and yeah so i used one you know sue me I thought it was hilarious. It's like some space agey thing. All it needs is a vacuum to attach your hose to, and then you, you know, you're good to go. But it was, uh, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. And anyway, this guy, one of those customers, and again, it's because of COVID and the fact that so many jobs are on hold, and you know, there's a lot of stuff in the air that you kind of, we've been kind of getting a few more whack job customers over the last little bit, just to try to fill in because some of the jobs are again on pause. There's a hiatus. Uh, material is going through the roof and they seem to think that if they hold out, maybe it'll come back down. I think they're wrong considering that Canada's printing something like 1.5 billion worth of uh, fiat currency every week, but that's a different topic for a different day. Anyway, uh, so this guy's ordered all this, all these cheap electrical components and parts and light fixtures straight from China. He was actually bitching to me today because Three of his fixtures are still on hold, clearing customs in YVR, which is our big um, airport in Vancouver. So anyway, some of them aren't on site yet, but half of these fixtures have had to turn away. Or he wanted dimmers put in, but then, and this is going to get a little bit technical, but if you have LED lighting or an LED, a built-in LED strip fixture, it has to have a dimmable driver attached to it for it to work on a dimmer. So anyway, I, you know, didn't even think of it. Any kind of local fixture that you pick up now has a dimmable driver. So threw the fixture up, threw a dimmer in. All of a sudden, it looks like a nightclub in there because it's just strobing. It's not rated for a dimmer, so the lights pulse on and off, on and off, and it's like a strobe light. So anyway, he wasn't too happy about that. Tried blaming it on us, saying that there was an issue with the dimmers that we were providing. I'm like, look, man, there's nothing wrong with these. We use these. They're universal. We use them on every job. It's your fixture. So sure enough, Pulled apart the next one that was identical to the one I just installed, showed him, and then, you know, he had to eat a bit of crow realizing that he had cheaped out. So 
no dimmers in his house. Uh, and then also, like a couple of fixtures, these things, again, like I was talking about earlier, the CSA approval, there is no CSA approval. There is, they're not cleared for use in Canada. They don't have the appropriate mounting devices to mount to Canadian electrical boxes. Uh, they look like they're meant to be installed in Thailand and just where you open splice everything in the air and, you know, cross your fingers, hope for the best. So anyway, it's 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 turned into a bit of a debacle because, again, it's just that idea of trying to cheap out and the customer thought he was smart in ordering all this stuff and now it's going to turn into a way bigger headache for him. But I don't know. I mean, there's only so much you can kind of do. Like, I I didn't enjoy or relish telling him that none of these fixtures are suitable for installation or anything but that's the way it is sometimes you have to be the one to say that because otherwise as soon as you sign off on the job you you know jot down your john hancock and walk away now you've signed off saying that you take responsibility for the installation well if that house burns down guess who he's coming to 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 sue for damages that's you and so it's uh it's part of covering your ass too, right? You've got to, you've got to be able to stand by your work and know that it's installed properly, safely, and that's um, yeah, it's kind of a tough part of the job because nobody likes to be the bearer of bad news, especially like today because I th- felt like I had nothing but bad news. But then I didn't feel so bad looking at this bag of piss that's sitting on the ground. So, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of uh, what goes around comes around. You gotta sometimes you just gotta pay up, and get the appropriate stuff, and it's. You know, I shouldn't feel bad for having to correct him in that way. But at the same time, I do. You don't like to cost people extra money. But, you know, them's the breaks. That's the way it goes sometimes. Now, there's a pretty famous saying by Aristotle. It goes like this. A friend to all is a friend to none. And now you may say, well, how does this relate to business? But especially when I'm working for a small company, I mean, customer service is key. Everything is face-to-face. You're... Every single level of the company that I work for, we all have to, we are the face of the company anytime we go anywhere. So service, service is key. It's, uh, it's very important. It's very evident. We are putting the company's impression or we are leaving the company's impression on all of our customers. So it's up to each and every one of us to kind of uphold that standard and carry that flag wherever we go with work. So, but the idea with this is that in small companies, a lot of the time you do develop friendships and relationships with customers. And, you know, it's impossible to keep everybody happy. Uh, I had mentioned this earlier, but you need to have a target customer. For example, you know, I'm not going to do shitty or scabby work. And when I quote jobs, I quote jobs accordingly. So if you have a lot of cheapskates out there, people are looking for a guy that'll cut corners or, you know, get the job maybe halfway decent done, but you know, there's a lot of uh, and iffy parts along the way. Like that's, you know, uh, I try to weed that stuff out just in the quotes that I put together because, you know, I, I take pride in my work and I, I suggest anybody else out there does the same, no matter what field you're in, take pride in what you're doing. That's kind of what helps get me up every day, get me motivated to go to work. Is it something that I enjoy doing and I want to kind of put my stamp on a job when I'm done? And so that's reflected in quotes. I'm not the most expensive guy out there, but I'm certainly not the cheapest. And that does help weed out a lot of customers because, yeah, again, you've, <laughs> you're never going to be able to serve everybody. Not everybody is a potential customer for you. So taking a bit of pride and really having that backbone can serve you 
really well going forward. That's you have to be able to have a standard and uphold it. And that's something that your customers will grow to appreciate. And now again, in dealing with these bad customers, sometimes this can really set morale for the company and for the workforce, because if you're in a mentorship role, or let's say you're the boss, you're the employer, whatever, whatever role you're in, you're going to have subordinates working underneath you, be that an apprentice or another journeyman who's out in the field. And if they have a bad customer, and you side with the mentality that the customer is always right what does that say to your worker what does that say to your coworker? again your apprentice your subordinate whatever it may be what does that say to them you know you've got to be able to have their back especially in times like that when the customer is being unfair or is treating them poorly it, it comes back on company morale on just the work ethic and you know, how happy people are going to be coming to work. Like that makes a big difference, especially if you're trying to cultivate long-term employees, guys who are of higher quality, who who really, again, put in that extra mile at work. And it's it's important to kind of maintain and cultivate those relationships. And sometimes that's going to mean taking your guy's side over the customer. Because again, the customer isn't always right. Sometimes they're going to have a complaint there really isn't a complaint. It was just your guy following the rules, following the guidelines and doing it the way that it should be done. But the customer doesn't realize that. So you've got to kind of draw a line in the sand there sometimes and support your good employees when they're dealing with a bad customer. And again, for a little bit of a personal anecdote here, I mean, this was when I was an apprentice, but my boss, we had a fucking brutal contractor. Um, it was the same guy who I was talking about before who would kind of weave his material for his job onto the other jobs so he would just order a little bit extra for this renovation order a little bit more for this construction and then bring it into his house right pretty greasy so but this guy he had all kinds of issues was always trying to go on the cheap and you know he would bring it up to my boss and then you know we would discuss it he would talk to me knowing that you know I mean I was only a second or a third year at the time but you know, he knew what level I was bringing to the table and what type of effort I was putting in. And so he would talk to me and then finally realize like, this isn't worth it. And he ended up cutting ties with that contractor over, you know, it wasn't just me. There were a couple of other electricians in our crew that he had talked to and kind of listened to, to our grievances before jumping to any conclusions about what the contractor was saying about us. And then he ultimately decided to, yeah, cut the cord with that contractor. It just wasn't worth the headache anymore. And, you know, life goes on. Uh, we developed a lot of other different business relationships, different leads, and uh, it just gets better. You know, sometimes you just got to cut those bad customers, bad contractors, whatever it is, cut them out of your life. It's not worth the headache. And you're going to find other people who actually appreciate that effort that you put in. And speaking of that extra effort, I mean, there's a great quote by Roger Staubach. It goes, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. And I don't think that could be more applicable to anything like it is in the service industry or trades or, you know, if you're going making house calls or, you know, again, anything. If you put in that little extra effort, man, does it ever get appreciated by contractors or again, by by the end customer like they they really appreciate that. So, again, like this whole concept of the the customer isn't always right. You know, that that is true. But at the same time, you have to do your best to really uphold your end of the bargain. And sometimes that means going the extra mile. And, you know, th those type of customers are going to be yours for life. If they see that you're willing to put in that extra effort and that you actually care, like that's 
that's the biggest thing. I mean, so many people nowadays do not give two shits how the end product looks. So if you can put in that effort, make sure that it's seen through to completion, that things go smoothly. I mean, everybody's going to have hiccups along the way, but smooth it out as best you can. And as long as they can see that effort put in, they're going to use you like time and time again. It's worth building those relationships and putting in that little bit of extra effort. Now, going back to that idea of recognizing that you are the professional, you are, you know, air quote, an expert in your given field. Again, this is <laughs> this is just about the only area of my life that I would consider myself quite competent in is electrical, just based on time put into it. But, you know, anytime you're dealing with subordinates now or people who you are mentoring, keep that in mind. You know, you've got a lot of value to give. And so when if you see an apprentice or somebody working underneath you who's going about the wrong way, doing something incorrectly or unsafe, like it's up to you to correct that behavior. And again, like that's part of recognizing that you know what the fuck you're doing. It's important and it's important in cultivating and, you know, furthering their own career as well, because you, the longer that you let somebody kind of do a task wrong, the farther off track they're going to get. You know, because that starts to bleed into different tasks. You know, if I can do this this way, well, then that probably means I can pull this cable that way or whatever it may be. Like it, it bleeds into different tasks. You have to be able to uphold a high level, a high standard across all areas of your work. And so when that comes down to, again, anybody who's working underneath you, a subordinate or somebody who you're in a mentorship role to, don't be afraid to kind of assert that level of expertise. Let them know how to do it. And uh, you don't have to do it in a demeaning way, obviously, but this episode isn't really about that. I think I've covered that in the past. The idea is that you want to kind of develop a backbone and you know where your strengths are and you're not afraid to to display them or to use them to teach people how to do something a better way moving forward, especially because these lessons have kind of a waterfall effect, you know. They, uh, if you're teaching it to your fourth year apprentice, they're going to then teach it to the first year apprentice. So you don't want to let things get too far off course because it, again, it bleeds into a bunch of different employees, a bunch of different levels of the company. You've got to kind of nip that stuff in the bud right away when you see it. And it's going to, it has long lasting and long reaching implications. So, you know, don't be afraid to really let people know around you who are working underneath you that, Hey, I do know what I'm doing. If you do it this way, it's going to make things safer for all of us. It's going to make the job go smoother. Just listen to me in this case. And like in any functioning hierarchy, one that's based on merit, you know, they call it a meritocracy. This is going to this is going to just help everybody move up in the company and everybody make more money in the long run. So <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with kind of taking your rung on the ladder, your your level in the company and working from there, doing what you can for those beneath you and doing whatever you can to help those above you. Now let's get into kids. Uh, as far as raising kids, I mean, I like to a lot of the time, although, fuck, it feels like it's been forever since I've done a podcast episode that kind of followed the original layout when I was planning this podcast. But, you know, when it comes to kids, like, it, this is so important to kind of recognize your own, your own expertise, your own level of knowledge, and just the the depth of experience you bring to a situation because I mean nowadays all I see on any parenting thing is you know well ask your kids how they want this situation dealt with or ask your kids how they want this done or you know ask your kids to do this it's like you're dealing with an eight-year-old like they don't 
they don't necessarily understand how to deal with the situation. Like, you you are an apparent parental role. Like, you know, kind of grab the reins and, and go with it a little bit. And I think that's one thing that drives me nuts nowadays. But anyway, I'm not going to... I'm not, I'm not going to go into a rant about parenting. Well, maybe I will. We'll see how this goes. But the idea here is that you are an adult. You are a parent. And your child is looking to you for guidance. And if you're not going to give it, like, they are going to search it out from somewhere else. I think that's so important to to realize nowadays, especially with how much media is at their fingertips. And they can, you know, they can draw from any type of source they want to. And there's no shortage of bad ones out there either, bad influences. So, you know, a lot of the times, like, all that I've read and all that I really, the, the information that I've really gleaned from parenting books or listening to parenting podcasts, whatever it may be, is to be consistent. You know, your kids want you to have a backbone. They want you to be a supporting structure for them. But that means guiding them. That means using, again, your expertise or your knowledge to to help them in difficult situations. I mean, Again, so my oldest is nine, and it's bringing on a whole bunch of new challenges that we never had with him as a toddler or just going into school. You know, <laughs> ah, hormones are a bitch, but whatever. I mean, I can't really remember that stage of life now, but I, I can recognize it. You know, every once in a while, you get a little bit of deja vu and hearing something that he said and flashing back to me yelling at that at, at my parents when I was a kid, so... You know, it uh, what goes around comes around. I, I guess uh, <laughs> everything that I said to my parents as a kid is coming back in spades, so that's fine. But you know, you've got to be, you've got to be the guide for your kids. You know, you, you can't be riding passenger in your kids' lives. And I feel like that's what a lot of parenting advice is out there nowadays. It's you know, well, be your be your kid's friend, be their best friend, be their sounding board. You know, let them know that they can really guide their own life. It's like. At eight years old, I mean, really, I don't think that's the best advice to give a kid or nine years old, 10 years old, whatever, whatever. In this age group where they're super impressionable and they're searching for influences, like if you don't provide that strong guiding influence, they're going to get veered so far off track and so quick. And the way that it goes with child psychology, like a lot of the time, like these influential years I mean I know they say a lot of it's between the ages of two and five but I mean anytime through this development where they're going through hormonal stages like it is important and you have to be that solid that rock solid foundation that they can rely on and that they can look to for guidance so you know I mean again I'm no <laughs> I'm no child rearing expert by any means I uh, but we're doing the best we can and from you know we try to play around with different parenting styles different different advice that you see or you hear or you read and all this new agey shit doesn't seem to work very well for our kids i mean maybe it's just because they're boys and i don't know they're pretty rambunctious as it is but you know they need they need somebody who's going to be firm and going is going to be consistent with them that that's all they really require they need to know the boundaries and the rules and that they exist and that then they can play around in between them and you know they push them they test them but that's all part of being a kid i just you know there there's no point in trying to deny the fact that you are that that guide for them and so again this is another place where you can really assert your expertise you can assert your knowledge and you can you can guide somebody and that you know that comes along with obviously telling them when they're off track when they're off course correcting it 
in whatever way you see necessary. But there's, you know, too many people seem to be shying away from being an actual parent nowadays, and they'd rather just ride co-pilot, ride shotgun with their kid. And I don't know. I mean, we're probably going to see in another 10, 15 years where that gets people, but I don't think it's going to get the uh, <laughs> the results that they're planning. So, you know, be, be, be empathetic, be caring, but at the same time, you're a parent. You've got to be strict. You've got to be firm. You've got to you've got to set those guidelines and and give your kids an example moving forward. And that's something that I really appreciated out of my parents. Again, I've gone into it before. I'm not going to divulge into it again. But you know, divorce, ugly, ugly fucking divorce. But at the same time, they did what they could, and I appreciated kind of the firm guidelines that were laid out for me, and it helped shape me into who I am today. So, thank you to both of my parents. I know you're both listening. So thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Even if I didn't show it at the time, it's um, it's a lesson that has stuck with me and it's, it's shaping the way that I'm parenting my kids now. So, and obviously I, I don't think it needs to be said, but all this is coming from a place of love. You know, you can be firm, you can be, you can be strict with your guidelines. It doesn't mean you love them any less. It just means you want the best for them. So I think that's going to be it for this week, guys. I tried to kind of go back to my original format of what I had kind of planned and written out for this podcast and try, try to step away from maybe the pulpit for the last few weeks that it feels like just talking more about social issues and trying to get back into a little bit of, you know, talk that's directed at the trades. So that doesn't mean I'm not getting back to it. It just means that I'm trying to mix it up a little bit because my next solo is going to be back <laughs> back in the uh the trenches a little bit i guess so anyway thanks a lot for listening have a great week and i'll talk to you all again soon all right everyone that's it for today i hope you found some value in this week's episode if you did and are interested in more content like this please rate review subscribe and recommend the podcast to a friend i really appreciate all the feedback you've been giving me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again as always the podcast page is the plaid jacket philosopher on facebook at jacket plaid on twitter and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.